0: Haven't we been blessed already to be able to voice songs like Blessed Assurance and songs like Footprints of Jesus and songs like the one we just led, Give Me the Bible. Now all three of those songs had such rich meaning and such powerful messages that no doubt strike within us a great motivation. Certainly we appreciate the spirited singing in every way. Just as surely as the singings a part of the worship too, we have the privilege for the next few moments of reflecting on a portion of the Word of God. May I encourage you to be turning to the third chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, and we will be looking at verses 13 to 17. That was just read in our hearing a moment ago, but we will not only reflect a bit more carefully upon it, but use it as a reminder of the next element in our series of lessons that we're considering this year. You may recall that on the first Sunday in the month of January, we at least operated on the thought we would, on the first Sunday of each month, give a particular emphasis to one of those major matters connected to the life of the Lord. The last month it was His birth. Today it's His baptism. We shall do that on the first Sunday of each month, if it be the will of God. And so for the next few moments, what about the baptism of the Lord? What features from that reading could be of great benefit to us as we reflect upon its character and make application to our life today. You may notice on that introductory slide, our blessing certainly would bring us to note this. As often as baptism is mentioned in the Bible, we understand that it will have a significance. If God mentioned it but one time, that'd be enough. And yet we find a whole host of references to the reality of it to the blessing connected to it, and to the eternal reward that directly associates with it. For that reason, you may notice that we're then going to look today not at the baptism of just an ordinary human like you and me. What about the Lord's baptism? Immediately, some questions may cross your mind and mine, and I hope as we give thought to it, we'll answer them, at least give them proper consideration, but let's begin it like this. Let's devote a couple of slides to thinking about the setting of the baptism. That is to say, what were the circumstances at that time in the Lord's life, and in what way do we see the baptism seemingly fitting rather neatly into it? It all begins in the opening verses of Matthew chapter 3. At that point, we come face to face with John the Immerser. We often call him John the Baptist, of course. And in that way, we immediately are confronted with this truth. He was the forerunner of the Christ. He was prophesied in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 40, as well as Malachi chapter 3. Both of them pointed the finger down the stream of time, in Isaiah's case, over 850 years. In Malachi's case, a bit over 410 years. Pointed to the reality of the One Coming that would in fact prepare the way for the Christ. And so it was that John the Immerser is the one that occupied that role. As you'll notice on that slide, John taught a rather definitive message, a message of sternness and power and blessing from God. That message included repentance. God's blessings in a religious way are not shared on one and all apart from response to Him apart from repentance, among other things. As that repentance was thus asserted, would you note with me verse number 8, John himself declared, "...bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance." It might be easy to say, well, I repent. But you know, even in that day, John reminded them repentance is a change of mind that generates or is manifested in a change of action. You can't go on living in a sinful way as you always have and claim you've repented. It doesn't work that way, does it? You may also notice that John also heralded a message of confession. Look back to verse 6. And were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. You might take note, they confessed their sins. Isn't it interesting in that connection that we are almost prepared then for the place Involving the Lord's baptism. I think all of us would certainly admire John in many ways. Although John was a great individual, is it not the case that he pointed the finger directly at Jesus? John never strove to take the credit and the glory and the homage to himself, but he said, There's one coming after me, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. Furthermore, in John 5, as well as John chapter 3, he pointed to the fact that he, speaking of Christ, is the one to which the human family should turn. In John 1 verse 29, it is there said, John proclaiming this truth, Behold the Lamb of God, speaking of Jesus, that taketh away the sin of the world. I say all of those things to say that in this placement of John, we find one who directed the credit and the glory precisely to the Christ. John was a man known for baptism. Again, that's part of our description. He was John the baptizer. Now, that distinguishes him from John the apostle. We know that, again, James had a brother named John, and we appreciate what a great role he played in the early church. John, you see, the thing for which he was known was his message concerning baptism. In that connection, may I offer you this thought. Where was it that John was baptizing? We are told in the Jordan. Would you make note of this with me in verses 5 and 6? Then went out to him Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. So that river known as the Jordan River was the placement, the location wherein the baptizing on behalf of John was in fact taking place. As you and I close that particular slide, we are now brought to this observation in verse number 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. So the Lord was in the region of Galilee and there was a decision that he made, a particular volition of mind that brought him or prompted him to travel to this Jordan River area where John was. And in so doing, the request of verse 13, the desire was, to, in fact, to be baptized of him. At first sight, doesn't that sound lovely? Doesn't it sound wonderful? You know, today you and I are rather thrilled when we appreciate someone who expresses desire to be baptized. And so the Lord came. John knew who he was. But now verse number 14 quickly brings us this notification. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. Here John was reluctant. He was hesitant, if you please. He at this point, in fact, the text says, forbade him. He would have hindered him because he had this very great truth in his mind. I'm the one that needs to be baptized by you, not the other way around. One more time, can't we all be impressed? You may remember Moses slipped up on an occasion. He struck a rock twice and took the credit to himself. John made no such error. Even on instances in which the Lord would come to him, such as this one, it was John, you see, who would have hindered the activities that were in mind. As you and I close that slide and turn our attention to another, we notice that the Lord made a quick response. This hesitancy expressed by John was immediately met by this statement from the lips of our Lord. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. You may notice that the Lord was not to be persuaded. John again had offered the thought, wouldn't it be better if you baptized me? But the Lord quickly said, Suffer it to be so now. May it be as I have requested that you and I in this activity may fulfill all righteousness. That is to say, in connection to what was right. It's no wonder at that point, verse 15 closes by saying, He suffered him. John acquiesced to the logic that the Lord used. John fulfilled that which Jesus had in mind. At that point, as you can see on the slide, we're now ready to notice the following Verse 16, Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. So the Lord emerged from that water, and the text says, The heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What an amazing thought to imagine that voice from heaven the Lord's baptism, the events that have just transpired, and we notice that the Spirit of God is also referenced and mentioned. Could we all at least take a moment and observe all three members of that beautiful Godhead are here and identified. The Son, the second member, was the one being baptized. The Heavenly Father spoke in an audible way and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the third member The Holy Spirit is such that that Spirit descended in the form of a dove. All three members identified, all three members referenced. What a beautiful scene. What a remarkable scene, having all the thrust and all of the glorious joy connected to rightness with God. All three members highlighted and presented. As you come near the bottom of that slide, wouldn't it be fair to say this was a noteworthy event? The Baptism of Our Lord. What about some lessons extracted from that reading that could be of a blessing to you and me even today? Could we not begin with this one? Lesson number one, baptism, you see, was an act of choice. It was a part of one's own choosing, if you please. I think you and I are well aware as that is presented before us, it was the Lord who made this choice to journey from Galilee to the Jordan River. We aren't told how many miles that was. This much we do know. Galilee was the northernmost region in that central part of Palestine. Depending on where, in fact, John was baptizing in the Jordan, that could have been a sizable walk. Regardless, the Lord made it. He chose to proceed to this location, and in so doing to be baptized at the hands of John in the Jordan River. As you give thought to the matter of choice, isn't it an interesting thing to make that application to us? As great as the invitation extended to the Word of God is, God doesn't force anybody to obey Him. Never. He never, in fact, insists in such a way that He bends our will apart from our choice and forces us to do that which would be His bidding. In fact, either before or after our baptism, He never, ever makes that force upon us. Even after we become Christians, again, He extends to us the invitation to obey. He extends to us the motivation for it, but He does allow us to make that final decision, doesn't He? That has to do with even to the matter of our choice in assembly. He'll allow us to choose whether we will come or not, as well as the other aspects of our service. Our God did not make us as robots. He didn't make us in such a way that we are, in fact, apart from our will, those that are forced to obey Him. Even the Son of God, Jesus, had a choice. And he chose to undertake that journey coming, you see, to the Jordan and therein to submit to the act of baptism to what he would claim as righteousness. One of the last thoughts at that point is the assertion of that application to us. Go into all the world, the Lord would say, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. From that closing chapter in the gospel according to Mark, we notice that there was to be a preaching on the part of what God commanded and then there would be responses. Those loving individuals who upon hearing that word with a heart of designation would respond in turn. One other passage might well be the reminder to each of us of that text of Romans the sixth chapter in which it is said that each of us can yield our instruments as instruments of righteousness on the one hand or instruments of unrighteousness on the other. But did you note the verb yield? We have the opportunity to yield one way or the other. God won't force it, but oh, how strongly He encourages and invites. What about lesson two? In addition, you see, to this opening lesson of choice, what about the nature of the baptism? It is fair to say that we have other passages that assist us with the following observation. Go back to Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, as it begins our discussion of John. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, of interesting note, this is that same John who had a sternness about him. Because you see, the Word of God is not compromisable, at least rightly. John was that same one, as you'll notice in verse number 4, who had a raiment of camel's hair and a and a, and a, a leather girdle he wore. That reminds us that John's appearance likely was not the most common appearance of the people in that day. And they understood that this man had a message to preach. And he would preach it with sternness, and he would preach it with directness. And as He did so, you'll notice in verse number 6, lots of people came out to be baptized by Him. I would say that this way then on that slide. As far as exactly where John was baptizing, we know that the Lord came there to be baptized. As you and I notice in John's gospel account, John baptized in regions where there was a lot of water. There was much water, John chapter 3, verse 23. And in that connection, you and I note then that baptism, as we encounter that word in the New Testament, is a word reminding of us it's a burial. And in so doing, it requires much water. It can't be done with a teaspoon of water, and it can't be done with a handful of water. It requires much water, which is perhaps the reason why the Holy Spirit insisted that we take note of that passage again in John 3, Verse 23. Interestingly enough, we have some particular statement made as you close that slide with me about that scene we encounter later with the Ethiopian nobleman in Acts the 8th chapter where again much water was involved. These two lessons so far have at least begun our consideration about this scene of the Lord's baptism. What about lesson number three? This one as we come to this title, I've merely entitled it The Concept of Importance. Would you note with me again the express way in which it's referenced. Verse number 15. Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, though an interesting emphasis might be given to that, let's at least begin it like this. Jesus as you and I know, was one who knew quite well His mission. He knew quite well His purpose. In fact, in John 17, He would state that He left all the glory of heaven in order to take care of that mission and purpose which the Father had bequeathed to Him. He was quite well aware of all of that, and yet He took time out of a busy preaching consideration and other acts of service to make this journey to Jordan and to be baptized. That that indicate at the very least a significance, an importance, a vital matter related to it? On that slide, I've invited you to note then this particular set of considerations, one of which is this. By the preservation of the Holy Spirit, in terms of setting this before us, we now notice that apparently baptism is not just a trivial activity. It's not just something that you do that might have been done some other time or other place or other way. It had a significance, an importance, if you will. And in that way, we notice that Jesus came to the one who would do it correctly and who would do it rightly, and the one who, in fact, was knowledgeable of the entire mission that Jesus was to fulfill. On that slide, I've perhaps put it like this. Did you notice that we already have had reference that John preached repentance? And he insisted that there was to be a repentance connected in light of worthiness for what they were then doing. You also remember that he directed the correctness to the nature of who Christ was. And so it was, on that slide, I've invited you to notice that our baptism today, we understand is not an idle activity You don't just do it because someone else did. You don't just do it because someone else wants you to. Baptism is much more significant. It's a personal choice of volition that I want to do what the Lord commands for the reason He commanded it, not for any other reason. Look, for instance, at those verses. In Acts 2, verse 38, When they on Pentecost, you see, they found themselves guilty of transgression and sin, And they cried out to Peter and the others, Men and brethren, what shall we do? It was at that time that by inspiration, Peter in response said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. The reason for that baptism is stated at that point. It's for the remission of sins. And so I'm not baptized to show that I've already been saved, because that isn't true. I'm not baptized just because my parents want me to. And I'm not baptized because my brother or sister did. And I'm not baptized because the elders want me to. It has to be my choice that in this present state of life I'm lost and undone. And the Word of God, which I fully believe, teaches this is the way I contact the blood of the Master. And in so doing, my sins are washed away, they're remitted. And as far as the reason for it, that's what is set before us. Isn't that a beautiful scene? An amazing thought, at least for you and me. Now clearly there's an interesting distinction to the Lord. I've pointed out that our baptism involves the remission of sins. And that's the reason for it. But of course the Lord had none of that. He had never committed a single sin. Not one. He had never said anything amiss. He had never transgressed that law beneath which He lived. He'd never thought anything inappropriate. And so you see, one cannot say Jesus was baptized in order for His sins to be remitted. That would not be correct. But He does tell us in verse 15 why He did it. And you and I will give some thought to that in just a moment. But so far, wouldn't it be fair to say that what an important thing, but surely we'd be quick to say the other aspects of our initial obedience are important. Belief is important. Repentance is important. Confession of the Lord's name is important in each instance because the Lord's Word says so. We would just add that our appreciation of baptism falls in that category too. As we close that slide, Shouldn't we be comforted with the thoughts of 1 Peter 3.21? The like figures were to even baptism, doth also now save us. Not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You'll notice again, our conscience, as it appreciates the teaching of the Word and responds in faithfulness to it, is such that that baptism saves us. It's that act in which our sins are rebited. What about lesson number four? In this fourth place, let's add another consideration again to that 15th verse. When the Lord responded to John this way, He said, suffer it now. That is to say, John, let it be. And then the Lord made this statement. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And so the Lord gave that reasoning for this. Again, in His case of baptism, it was not for remission of sins. He didn't have any of them. But it was to fulfill all righteousness according to His statement. You might take note that in Mark 1 verse number 4, John had baptized others in light of the baptism of of repentance for remission of sins. So that certainly was true for other individuals, but it was not that case in that way for the Lord. Aren't we thankful for Jesus' reflective statement? Jesus said, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. It's connected to the right thing to do. It is the proper thing to do. In this way we shall fulfill that which is right. That rightness might well lead you to note some of those matters on the slide. We've already noted the Lord again had no sin, so His baptism was not for that reason. But it was to fulfill all righteousness. Righteousness, you see, is what is set forward to you and me by way of the Word of God. Psalm 119 verse 172 echoes that statement in marvelous majesty. It is there said that God's Word is what makes righteousness available. And thus, as Jesus made the proclamation fulfill all righteousness, we're going to fulfill what would be connected to that which the Word of God would demand. May I invite each of us to think about John's baptism. Turn with me to Luke the 7th chapter for just a moment. Luke the 7th chapter, we find in there a reference to somewhat about the baptism administered by John. We'll only need to read verses 29 and 30 of that chapter. But in that passage, as it describes the baptism administered by John, these are the words we encounter. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. So during his preaching ministry in time, we'll hear here that there were many who were convinced of the nature of the significance of it, And the text says they justified God in the activity of their baptism according to John. Now verse 30. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves being not baptized of Him. So we have an impression that there were many who heard the preaching of John, perhaps seeing the witness of his confirmation of the Lord and they seemingly were rather quick to be baptized by Him, and in that way they justified the cause of God. But the next verse says that there were others, such as lawyers and Pharisees, who rejected God's counsel because they didn't get baptized by John. Fairly easy to see in that that it was then the statement of God's will for those people that they submit to the baptism of John. And now revisiting back to that text in Matthew 3 verse 16, you notice then that Jesus did submit to it because it was right. It's what the will of God was for those individuals at that time. Isn't it interesting as you close that slide with me that you and I can ask about that same matter in principle today. Is it the right thing to do to be baptized? Would it be the correct and proper thing to do to be baptized? And surely the answer is yes. For reasons we've noted, one, the God of heaven commanded it. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you want to be saved, you have to be. There is no alternative and there is no other way. This consideration of baptism takes us to that language again that Jesus utilized. Righteousness the thing that's proper and right. As you note the closing of that slide with me, maybe it leads us to point number five, the last one of our lesson today. As we build together thoughts concerning the decision the Lord made and what took place in it, I hope we are quite comforted and also excited as we think about this. There was a time in the distant past... When the Son of God submitted to the very thing that God asks you and me to submit to, we aren't doing anything, at least practically, any different. It's for a different reason, admittedly. But in the same way that the Lord was plunged beneath the surface of some water, in this case by John, in the way that fulfilled all righteousness, it is such that you and I today... Are commanded by God that to enjoy the benefits of remission of sins, we too submit to this. And we don't certainly wish to do it in a way that's displeasing. We certainly wish not to do it in a way that's unacceptable. We just want to do it in a way the Lord did, in a way that is acceptable. And so look at that last slide with me. Although the Master had no sins to be forgiven, he submitted to baptism you and I today do have sin. And how longing then must be our desire that we too would enjoy the blessing and benefits of entrance into the kingdom by way, of course, of baptism. And so the second point on that slide is then a question. If baptism was so significant that the Lord saw fit to make sure to involve Himself in it, then what about you and me today? What about our thoughts and our considerations Surely there should come a time when you and I know that we shall depart the scenes of this earthly realm and we will thus reside in a place beyond this one. Do we not wish it to be a pleasant experience? Do we not wish it to be an experience fraught with all the joy and bliss that the Word of God would describe? And yet for those that choose not to enter the Lord's kingdom, Paul would express a rather fateful end to this. In 2 Thessalonians 1, To you who are troubled, rest with us. where the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels and flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His power. Since you and I recognize that baptism is a commanded thing, that passage says those that refuse, those that remain reluctant, those that refuse to submit are those that shall meet a rather unpleasant end. Surely the Lord's example of His baptism ought to be a great comfort to us. He doesn't ask us to do anything beside what He did in this this particular regard. As we close that slide, then what about the closing verse of chapter 3? And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there to hear it? You might take note, Jesus heard it, but John did too. John was there. He must have heard this marvelous and impressive voice. Have you ever wondered what the voice of God must have sounded like? Was it thunderous? Was it dramatic? I suspect those words don't do it justice. And yet, it affirmed from the perspective of the father that the decision that the the son had made and the activity in which he had just then involved himself was pleasing to God. If you and I want to be pleasing to him, we need to be a member of his kingdom and a faithful one at that. One who has desire with regard to serving him each day. That will begin, of course, with our baptism into his body. Let's close our lesson like this. We've merely attempted on this page to summarize the main points that we've noted in the lesson this morning. As we've reflected upon the baptism of Jesus, we noted it was a choice on the Lord's part, just as, of course, our baptism must be today, a choice on our part. But beside that, we appreciated this. It involved much water, just as baptism always must, and we also appreciated in it That not only much water, but it had a significance connected to the fulfillment of righteousness. And God was pleased. It might be today that someone in this assembly would wish to recognize upon examination of your life that there's a need for coming to the Lord in a public way. We want you to know that as a congregation, that's not a time of insult, it's not a time of embarrassment. It's a time in which one recognizes the sweet offering of God's forgiveness and a group of people wishing to celebrate with you. If there's someone in this assembly, at least in that regard, would you please think with care and earnestness and think about the Lord's invitation. Did He not say, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. An absolute assurance and promise of certainty. If you want that rest that the Lord offers, it will begin as you become a member of His kingdom, which culminates, of course, in that matter of baptism. We'd be honored to listen to your statement of confession. We'd be honored to take note of your repentance and certainly the statement of your belief. If we could help you in that way today, we shall extend the Lord's invitation in regard to that. If you have become, though, a child of God, and maybe at one time you knew the sweetness of baptism, But perhaps over time, you've begun to live in a way that's displeasing to Him. You've made choices, and maybe they've become an ingrained habit of living in a way that's not right. You can still make changes, and you can come back to Him. And 1 John 1 tells us that He will forgive those sins if you will repent of them and make confession of them. And today, we'd be happy to assist in that way as well. Brother Larry has chosen this song of encouragement. If you would wish to come at this time, we would extend that invitation. And as the Lord does so with loving arms, while together we stand and while we sing.